Well, it's good to see so many here this morning. It's good to see a number of visitors with us. We have family, it looks like, who's visiting uh, for the holidays. We have college kids uh, that are home for the holidays. And so we are certainly glad uh, that you are with us. It is always good to, uh, to see you. I was... Something was mentioned to me right before services. Many of you remember Ray and Cam Boatwright, who were members here uh, several years ago. But we got word that uh, Cam is not in very good condition. She has cancer and is not doing very well. Uh, That's really all the information I have. So ask that you keep that family uh, in your prayers. How many of you were not here for worship last Sunday morning? Raise your hand. Good. Because those of you that were here remember that we stopped very abruptly in the middle of our sermon last week because somebody changed the clock. And I was about halfway through with my sermon and I looked up and it was 1130. And there was only one person who wanted to go for another hour. And so we just kind of stopped abruptly. So we're going to get back with that here in just a minute. But Uh, Just a reminder for our visitors, we do have several that have not been with us, but several weeks ago we began a study in 1 John. And 1 John is, uh, you know, some of the letters that are written in the New Testament, we have to kind of try to figure out why they were written. And we're kind of getting one end of a conversation and we kind of have to figure out what was going on that, that prompted the writer to write that particular letter. Well, 1 John is not like that. In fact, John tells us specifically four times why he writes this letter. In chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, we write, we write this to make your joy complete or make our joy complete. Chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And then in chapter 2 and verse 26, he says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And then ultimately in chapter 5 and verse 13, as he begins to conclude, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So he wants our joy to be complete. He wants to warn us about false teachers. He wants to make sure that we do not sin. And he wants us to know that we have eternal life. And so as we kind of did our introduction, we noticed that there were some things that uh, John reminds us matters. First of all, he says doctrine matters. It does matter what you believe. You can't just believe anything. Then he says holiness matters. You can't live your life any way you want to live your life. If you are truly going to have fellowship with God, you have to obey his commandments and do what he said. Thirdly, he says, love matters. And those are the verses in 1 John. I know some of you are thinking, are we ever going to get to that part? Where he talks about, as we just sang, love one another. God is love. All of that stuff comes out of 1 John. But we're not there yet. But then he also says that confidence matters. We should know that we have eternal life. Wow. I like that. Because as I told you, that's not the way I was raised. That was not the atmosphere in which I grew up in. In which I grew up in, it was kind of a hit and miss. Maybe, maybe not. Depends on the day of the week. Depends on the hour of the day. Minute to minute, whether we were saved or whether we weren't saved. And John comes along and says, no, 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 no. You can know that you have eternal life. 
And I thank God for that confidence because that is what will bring us the joy he talked about when he said, I'm right that your joy may be complete. And so we began last week looking at this section in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. And for those of you who were here last week, I, well, no, I don't apologize. But we're going to go ahead and read this again. So if you have your Bibles, open to 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. John writes, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus Christ, or that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things. And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit. Just as it is taught you, remain in him. And so just briefly to kind of catch us up to where we stopped last week. John mentions two things in here that are a little little different. One is that the hour is coming. The last hour is here. Uh, and we might wonder, you know, what that is. And many times in the New Testament, it talks about the last days and the last hour and the time has come and the time is near. And I told you last week that I believe that the last hour is simply that time before Jesus comes back. Now, for those Christians in the first century, that was a real imminent thing to them. They looked forward. They believed that at any minute Jesus was coming back. And we ought to have that same imminent feeling in our lives. But just as the John's readers were in the last hour, we too are in the last hour. It is the time until Jesus comes. And so we are in that last hour. The second thing he writes about is the Antichrist. Wow. I wonder how many volumes have been written and discussions have been made on the Antichrist and who the Antichrist is. And we talked last week about, you know, from moment to moment in history, there is always, as soon as a new evil villain arises on the world stage, there are those who say that is the Antichrist. Whether it be the Roman emperor, perhaps in the day of John, or a little later on, perhaps, you know, I, I you know, uh, Khrushchev and, 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 you know, the Soviet Union or Hitler and the Third Reich. In later days, I remember not too long ago, you know, it was Saddam Hussein or it was Osama bin Laden. These people are the Antichrist. 
But John tells us and explains to us. And I mentioned last week, the Bible is its own best commentary. Somebody might just see the Antichrist is coming. Woo! So I'm going to go out and I'm going to find out and I'm going to think about who the Antichrist could be. And I'm going to think it's that person. You're going to think it's that person. Somebody else is going to think it's that person or that or whatever. And John, if John were here, he would say, people, people. Did you not read what I said? Did you not read the whole thing? And so John begins to tell us who the Antichrist is or who are the Antichrist. Yeah. And he says, first of all, there are many of them. It's not a single individual. It's not a single entity. He says, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. In fact, there are many Antichrists here right now. They're all around us. They're everywhere. Don't be looking out for a particular individual or particular entity. There's Antichrist everywhere. And don't try to read more into the name. Antichrist is very self-explanatory, isn't it? It's anybody who is against Christ. In John's day, it would have been perhaps the Roman emperor and the Roman government. It would have been all those who were not Christians, who did not believe in Jesus Christ. And and perhaps those who were very soon and quickly going to begin to uh, uh, injure the church and, and persecute it and all those different things. But it was also those within the church. That's really who John is focusing on targeting. Those who denied that Jesus was the begotten son of God. That Jesus Christ did become the flesh and the word become flesh and made his dwelling among us. Those who denied that he was the son of God. Those are the people who are the anti-Christ. And we can see that around us in our world today. There are many, many who deny Jesus Christ. They deny God. Atheists who say there is no God and therefore would deny the Son. There are religious groups. There are, quote, Christian religious groups who do believe in God and do believe in Jesus Christ, but do not believe that Jesus Christ was the begotten Son of God. Well, that's exactly what John is talking about here. And so there are antichrists all around us today. Those who would deny Jesus Christ. And the problem with all of that, well, we'll get to that in just a minute. Well, no, we won't. We'll get to that right now. (laughs) The problem with having the wrong doctrine is that it can lead to wrong lifestyle. We've said that all along. In John's day, it was those who said there is an absolute separation between the physical and the spiritual. So I can do whatever I want to in the physical body. I can engage in all kinds of sin and lasciviousness and adultery and, and drunkenness and all these. I can do all of these things, but it does not affect my fellowship with God. Because my spiritual is not affected by my physical. John comes along and says that is totally wrong theology. It is wrong doctrine. That leads to wrong behavior. In fact, our spiritual ought to control our physical. That's what it means to become a Christian. 
We no longer live like we used to live. There is a direct connection between the spiritual and the physical. And the physical should, I mean, the spiritual should override the physical. Second thing we looked at is what do the Antichrist do? And we said, he said in verse 19, did they withdraw from the fellowship? They've gone out from us. They've left us. And there are those out there in the world today who would tell us that the church is not important. That being together is not important. That I'm going to separate myself from the church. I'm going to go off and I'm going to do my own thing. And John says, no, being together is important. All throughout the New Testament, whether it's called, whether we're called the family of God or the body of Christ or the, the bride of Christ or all these different, the temple of God, analogies and metaphors that are used to describe the church show us that the church is important, that our fellowship with each other is important. John's already talked about that in chapter one. We need each other. God built the church intentionally. Jesus gave his life for the church. It is that important. And so we need to be with each other. We need to have that fellowship. We need to have that time of encouragement. And so every time we have the opportunity to be together, we ought to make the most of it. Whether it's Bible classes on Sunday morning or a worship service or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or a ladies Bible class or all the other different times that we have the opportunity to be together. We need that. And you may think to yourself. And I don't want to say you're selfish. But I will. You may think to yourself, I don't need that much. I'm okay. I don't need that much fellowship. I'm good. Well, first of all, I don't believe it. But let's just suppose I do believe it. What about the rest of us? What about the rest of us? We need you. We need to all be here. We need to all be a part. We need to be all encouraging one another. Maybe you don't need it so much, but I do. Maybe you don't need it so much, but the person sitting next to you may. Or the person you smile out on your way out and may just make their day. And if you're not here, you've missed the opportunity to be a blessing to them. And so John tells us that one of the marks of the Antichrist, these false teachers, where they separated themselves from the fellowship. Secondly, he said that they deny the faith. You see, they had this special idea. The word knowledge, we talked about this. That was their key word. You see... I have a special knowledge. You know, Chuck, you got the regular knowledge. But I have a special knowledge. I have a special anointing. I have a special understanding of God's word. You have a normal fellowship with God. I have a much higher fellowship with God than you do. Therefore, I know things you don't know. I'm I'm smarter, not necessarily smarter, but I have more knowledge because God has blessed me with a superior knowledge than the rest of you people. Well, that's what they were saying. And you know, like we said last week, if you can convince people 
that you have a special knowledge from God that's not available to them. If you can convince people that you have a special fellowship from God, that they don't, God talks to me differently than he talks to you. I have a deeper fellowship with God. I have a deeper understanding. If I can convince you of that, then I can lead you astray very easily. We talked about cults, Jim Jones and and, uh, David Koresh and, and other cults. That's exactly how they do it. They take generally young, impressionable people who have an understanding of the Bible and even maybe a belief in the Bible. But they come along and say, yes, the Bible is true, but God has also given me a revelation. God has also given me a knowledge that only I can pass on to you. And then they get this Messiah complex as they talk about. And they lead these people astray. They deny the faith. Many religions today claim to have a unique insight or understanding into God's will different from what is available to others. I love what Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8 says. Paul is talking, he says, if we or even an angel preaches you a different gospel, I think King James says, let that man be accursed. NIV, I believe, says eternal condemnation. Me or even an angel, Paul says. Wait, well, well, wait, Paul. But you're supposed to be inspired. You're supposed to be an apostle. What are, what are you talking about? How are we going to know if you're trying to lead us astray? Paul says you already have the gospel. You already have the truth. I've already given it to you. If I come along to teach you something, even if I come along and teach you something different from that, don't believe me. Now, I may have other teachings that are in line with that, that are going to explain that and and help that. But if I come along and teach something different than that, don't believe me, even if an angel does. One of the express reasons And thirdly, is uh, they lead God's people astray. This is where we were, by the way, when we ended last week. Yeah, I know. I see the time. They lead God's people astray. That is one of the express purposes of John writing this letter. It may or may not be intentional, but the result is the same. Now, for those of you that were here on Sunday night a couple weeks ago, I apologize. But uh, I'm going to use... And a story that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. In 1 Kings chapter 13, there's this interesting story. Jeroboam has become king and divided the kingdom between the north and the south. And the kingdom of Israel. And so God sends a prophet. To prophesy against Jeroboam in Israel. And so he goes and he prophesies against Jeroboam and he's supposed to come back to Judah and God tells him, do not stay in Israel. Do not eat in anyone's house. Do not go home the same way you came home. You come straight home to Judah. You don't pass go. You don't collect $200. 
Well, there's an old prophet that lives in Israel. And his sons come home and they tell him, you're not going to believe what just happened. This young prophet came and I mean, he cursed Jeroboam. It was a sight. You should have been there. It was amazing. And the old prophet said, which way was he going? And they told him and he said, saddle my donkey. I'm going to go catch him. And so he catches up to the young prophet. And he says to the young prophet, I want you to come home, eat with me and spend the night. And we can just have some conversation, old prophet to young prophet. And the young prophet says, oh, no. I can't do that. God told me not to. God told me to go straight home and not spend the night and not eat anywhere in Israel. And the old prophet said, well, the word of the Lord came to me through an angel. Wonder if that's what Paul was talking about in Galatians. The word of the Lord came to me through an angel and he said it was okay for you to come home with me it's all right for you to come home with me so the young prophet says well sure and he goes home and he eats with the old prophet in the middle of the meal the old prophet starts prophesying basically dude you shouldn't have come eating at my house you're gonna die and I imagine the young prophet is like what is going on here So in the morning, the old prophet sends a young prophet on his way and he's mauled by lions. Now, what got the young prophet in trouble was he listened to the wrong person. He was led astray by a false teacher. He was led astray by, I know it's the wrong time and everything, but he was led astray By an antichrist. What was the old prophet's motive? Do you think the old prophet had some evil, wicked, ulterior motive in inviting the young prophet to his house? Do you think the old prophet wanted the young prophet to intentionally disobey God so that he could get eaten by lions on his way home? Or do you kind of get the idea it was just an old prophet, nostalgic for the time when he'd been the young prophet and just wanted to spend some time with the young prophet? Just wanted to enjoy his company. Didn't have any nefarious intention involved. Didn't didn't have anything evil. And yet look what happened. There may be those who have plenty of good intentions. But the teaching is wrong. And God tells us we need to be Paul. John tells us we need to be careful of those. So. As Nancy Bowers informed me last week, you know, it was kind of anticlimactic because here we talk about the Antichrist and all the things they're going to do. And I said, next week, I'll tell you how to overcome. Yeah, well, okay. So hopefully you made it through the week. Hopefully you made it through the week. This morning, real quickly, because Chuck made me run out of time. 
This morning, real quickly, we'll talk how we protect ourselves from the Antichrist. John wants his readers to know that they already have the weapon. They already have the tool to defeat the Antichrist and protect themselves. Look at verse 20 and 21. I love this. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And no lie comes from the truth. Paul, John, John says, I'm not giving you some magic pill. I'm not giving you some magic weapon. I'm not giving you some superior knowledge or something, you know, mystical or out there. I'm telling you, you already have what you need to protect yourselves. You already know it. It's the truth. You remember as Jesus is standing before Pilate on trial, Jesus said something about the truth and Pilate says, what is truth? Why does that not describe our society today? The world we're living. What is truth? It's whatever somebody wanted to be at that particular moment. But God tells us that there is a truth. You remember in John chapter 17, Jesus on the night, you know, with his last night with his disciples, he makes that big long prayer in John chapter 17. And he prays for himself and then he prays for his disciples. Praise for those that are in the room with him, those he cares about. And he says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. We've talked about sanctify, set them apart, make them different, anoint them, perhaps. Notice John used anointing several times in these passages. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You want to protect yourself from the evil one. You want to protect yourself from the antichrist. The answer is God's word. In Ephesians chapter six, Paul is talking about taking on the full armor of God and the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. And he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, all those other things are defensive. You know, a shield and all that. It's the word of God that brings us the offensive. It's the word of God that takes the fight to Satan. You know, when Jesus was tempted on the mountain right after he had been baptized and been fasting 40 days and 40 nights and Satan comes along and begins to tempt him. The scariest part of all those temptations is the fact that Satan quoted scripture to Jesus. Whoa. You mean our enemy knows our game plan? Yep. You mean Satan knows the scriptures? Yep. You mean Satan can misuse and misrepresent and twist the scriptures to get us to do what he wants and not what God wants? Yep. But Jesus knew the scriptures better. And he used scripture to refute Satan each and every time. 
Knowing God's word requires study and meditation and application to our lives. When you read the Bible, why do you read the Bible? Do you read it just because you're on a daily Bible reading schedule and this is the chapter you're supposed to read? Do you read it in order to find the verses that you need to make an argument with somebody about a particular point? Or are you reading God's word to see how you need to change your life? To see what needs to be done with you. You remember what James said? Do not be hearers of the word only. Somebody who just hears the word is like the man that looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. We ought to be using God's word as a mirror for our lives. He makes an interesting statement here. Verse 27. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. Wow. What's, what's John saying? Is John saying that teaching isn't important? Isn't this whole letter a teaching by John to the people to whom he's saying you don't need anybody to teach you? He's trying to build up their confidence in the knowledge that they have of the gospel. He's saying these people are coming in and they are teaching you things that are contrary to what you already know. But you're beginning, they're beginning to suck you in. You're beginning to believe it because you're believing that they have some kind of special knowledge out here. No. You already know it. Nobody needs to come in and teach you about the gospel. Nobody needs to come in and teach you about Jesus being the son of God. God in flesh, incarnate, the Christ. Nobody needs to come in and teach you about. Now, are there other things that they probably needed to be taught and brought along? Sure. But not those things. You already know them. How many times in our lives... Have we been in a situation and we wondered about this or wondered about that or were confused about this, confused about that, and we've gone to somebody for advice and they've said to us, you know what you need to do. You already know. I don't need to tell you. You already know. John comes along and says, you know these things already. I'm not teaching you because you don't know. I'm teaching you because you do know. We know what God wants. We've studied his word. We know what he has in store for our lives and what he has done for us. And that comes through the study of his word. I'm not going to put any of the kids on. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, embarrass them. But I have, a, I, have a, I have a saying. And as far as I know, it's unique with me. It may not be. I may have stolen it from somebody. But I don't know. And when a new crop of junior high kids gets into, comes downstairs and, and I'm teaching them. And, and, and I say, you know, we do things a little different once you get down here. And I tell them. 
that my philosophy is the best way to study the Bible is to study the Bible. Exactly. The best way to study the Bible is to study the Bible. And we need to get into God's word. We take it for granted. How many of you have a Bible app on your phone or or computer or tablet thingy? How many? many? I don't. (laughs) Because I don't know how to use it. But I probably have 30, at least, 30 Bibles in my office. I got a new one this week. Some of you were here when, when, uh, when, when last time Mark preached and I saw Mark's Bible and had print about this big. And I marveled at it. I said, whoa, that is pretty. That's big. They got me one for my birthday. So now I've got a great big giant print Bible. Not using it yet because I'm not used to it. I'm old. I got to get used to it because I already know where all the verses are in this Bible. You know, right hand column, middle of the page, you know, all that. It'll take me some time. But we have God's word at our fingertip. But do we take advantage of it? Using it to protect us from Satan and the Antichrist that are in our lives. John comes along and says, yes, doctrine is important. What we believe is important. And there are those who are trying to lead you astray. But don't worry. Because you have the weapon. You have the protection. You have what it's going to take to keep you safe. And that's the truth, which is God's word. If you're here this morning in some way, we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.